episode of Space Flicks, the podcast where we watch movies and try to determine if this movie is worth the amount of bandwidth it will require to stream this movie into space so an astronaut can watch it on his mission to Mars. Lonely cinephile astronaut. Mm -hmm. Because we can only send him the best. The best of the best, and we are the judges of what that is. Yeah. Our taste is very similar. So this week, we're going to be talking about Black Klansmen. Black Klansmen. Mm-hmm. A Spike Lee joint. The latest Spike Lee joint. Uh, do you want to give the synopsis? Yes, because I definitely can. You can. Um, you can do it. So uh, Black Klansmen uh, takes place in Colorado Springs in the early 1970s and features John David Washington as a young rookie police officer in the Colorado Springs Police Department. He hatches a plan to infiltrate the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan and uh, does so via the telephone and is surprisingly successful. And then in order to continue his infiltration of the Klan, enlists the help of another police officer in the Colorado Springs Department who happens to be a white uh, gentleman who was uh, born Jewish and um, some uh, hijinks ensue uh, including a uh, terrorist plot by the Klan that, uh, and the, oh, the big question of the movie is, of course, um, will they uh, be able to stop some of these evil machinations of the Klan? And uh, it helps expose potentially some of the seeds uh, of sort of American racism that are probably still sprouting today. Um, that is the, that's the basics of the movie. Anything I left out that's important? Uh, no, that's the important stuff. Okay. So yeah, the trailer, the trailer for this movie uh, made it sort of look almost almost like a comedy. Kind of focuses on the absurdity of a black police officer fooling the Klan into accepting him as one of their own. Um, definitely evokes uh that dave Chappelle yeah sketch very much what's the so. i don't remember the guy's name but the it's character's like, it's name like, it's like rodney farnsworth but or dave Chappelle like famously had a sketch where where he played a he was blind right yes a blind african-american man who i guess didn't realize he was african-american and was very racist and joined the clan mm-hmm. um and you know it was obviously played for humor but this this movie uh it kind of calls back. I mean, not, it doesn't explicitly reference that, but it definitely brings that sketch to mind. I, I'm sure for many audience members because um, it's not a joke, but it is the same concept of a black person actually being a part of this. You know, obviously extremely anti-black group. Right. Where that. I mean, with the Chappelle Show sketch, the the joke, as it were, is is on um, the character himself, right? Because he doesn't know that he is black right Right. and this is sort of inverting that because this character quite obviously knows that he is black and the clan doesn't know versus in the Chappelle sketch everybody in the clan knows but except for that one person right so this sort of inverts that dynamic in that way yeah um and so uh, i forgot to mention that this is based on an actual true story yeah some for real for real shit as the uh opening (laughs) 
title card says. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, in some ways the story is so odd and so improbable that it has to, you know, it's one of those things that if it weren't based on a true story, nobody would really sure, if accept it, were, it. If it were fiction, it would be considered pretty unbelievable and, and sort of like just a bizarre fantasy. Right, right. right. Um, so, okay, but so you already mentioned it was a Spike Lee joint. Um, I hadn't seen a Spike Lee movie in a while. Uh, I, I yeah, he is not uh, the type of for whatever reason I haven't decided to make Spike Lee movies like appointment viewing, right? <laughs> uh, sure, he is pretty prolific though. He makes yeah. a lot of movies. Yeah, right. Um, I have quite liked some of his films. Right. What's your favorite Spike Lee movie off the top um, of your head? I would say just from a pure enjoyment perspective. It's probably Inside Man, mm. right? From a sort of this movie feels important and I should, you know, I, I will remember this feeling. Uh, it's probably Do the Right Thing. Yeah. Have you seen Malcolm X? Uh, I've only seen, uh, like, the first Your face is saying third no. of Malcolm X. Like, I, I've not seen the whole thing. No. Yeah. Um, and then uh, 25th Hour is quite good. Too. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see Old Boy. No, why that that one stands out to me? Why see, why see old boy? Why see old boy when you can see old? I don't boy? know. I mean, it's got great talent involved. You know, Spike yeah. Lee and Josh Brolin, and that's true. It might be great for and, all we uh, know. Charlotte Copley. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, anyway, yeah. Okay, neither of us saw it. So, uh, yeah. I I would probably agree with you. I think I don't actually remember Inside Man that well, to be honest. I do remember enjoying it. Um, I also remember thinking at the time, like, wow, this is uh, different for a Spike Lee movie. You know, mm-hmm. it's just uh, pure popcorn. I don't really know why I would say that, though, because I've seen all of like a grand total of probably three Spike Lee films. It's not like I am super familiar with his, his entire work. body yeah. of work. Um, yeah. So maybe a lot of them are like Inside Man. But uh, but yeah, that one was just like a really competently made kind of popcorn thriller movie Heist you know movie, yeah. for general audiences yep. you know not not particularly political or or filled with any kind of poignant message that i can recall there's a little bit of a reference the ultimately spoiler alert the heist in that movie is revealed to be sort of a vengeance for a holocaust perpetrator mm. right but that's pretty deep in the movie and not really dwelled on very much but so that that's as much as it gets into sort of like i think any kind of social commentary yeah but do the right thing uh definitely kind of makes you think um but you know i think this movie reminds me of do the right thing in some ways in that i my memory of do the right thing is it's a pretty enjoyable movie Mm -hmm. for much of the movie it's a hangout movie it kind of lulls you in you know it kind of like uh makes you feel comfortable yep and and is is entertaining you and sort of disarms you in that way yeah and then it's not until maybe the the final you know third act of the movie there's like there's like foreshadowing and you know and stuff kind of is hinted at but i think in the final third of the movie um tensions you know build very quickly and things take a pretty dramatic turn and and the story goes to some darker places but um in a way it's almost like i I almost feel like it's like the movie has earned your trust at that point Mm -hmm. 
like, you know, it's kind of like, I've entertained you enough, you know, now I get to challenge you a little bit. Right. Well, I think in some ways, uh, do the right thing is punctuated throughout its running time. And I think with increasing frequency and by the end, it's like the only thing it can think, the only thing it has its mind on. And I think that's all intentional. It, you know, Mookie is just trying to sort of live right Mm -hmm. in that movie and like make, make his two fifty a week. Right. And, um, and I think that ultimately, uh, and that's Spike Lee, right? Yeah. Playing, yeah. In the lead role. You're yeah. right. The movie's sort of punctuated by these, ug- these ugly r- racist sort of moments. Right. And by the end, it's so glaring with, you know, the, po- with, um, the police, you know, killing a unarmed person. Right. That it becomes like, we can't ignore this anymore. Yeah. Right. I think the characters want to have fun. Like they want to just listen to the radio and have a good time and talk about sports and whatever else they want to do. And the movie sort of by the end is like, we can't, this can't be ignored. Right. This is that, this is happening to us and we have to, you know, acknowledge this and do something about it. Right. Right. So, so, okay. That's do the right thing, which I, I think we both agree. Really good movie. Yep. Um, so and I and I said that this movie had some some things in common with that as far as sort of being entertaining for a good chunk of the movie, but that's kind of getting ahead of 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 this segment, which is just like going into this movie. You know, it sounds like neither of us are huge Spike Lee followers. Right. Um, what were your expectations? I, you know, this is where um, I'm probably pretty easily impressionable. Uh, I'm easily impressionable as far as trailers go, and so like. The tone that the trailer gives is sort of what I was aiming for, right? Yeah. And it's like, this seems like it will be both um, clever and a little bit funny, right? Mm -hmm. While certainly having something to do with the deep sort of racial divide that exists in America today in 2018 and... You know, quite apparently existed in 1970. Sure. Right. Uh huh. So that was what you expected. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I expected something pretty lighthearted too, which is kind of it. Feels funny to say in hindsight, like why would a movie about infiltrating the Ku Klux Klan be lighthearted? But it just the trailer very much made it seem like, um, you know, like the cops, the, in particular this 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 black. A police officer is going to basically outsmart the clan, and it's going to be fun to watch him make fools of all of them. Right, right. That's kind of the promise of the movie. Yeah, implicit in that, and I think it's this is a pretty fair assumption for me. Uh, like if if Spike Lee were guessing, like what would Adam like? Right, <laughs> like yes, agree. Adam would like to see the clan look stupid. Right, yeah, who wouldn't? Right. Um, Aside from the clan itself. Right, and in some ways, it had sort of the 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 feel of the trailer had almost like the, the vibe of like a con, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. For like, sure. The, like the, watch these two clever police officers, you know, like to, uh, to your point, get, get one over on the clan to achieve some outcome that probably hopefully subverts the clan. Right. Yeah. I will say in the, the, I don't think the trailer made particularly clear what their objective was. It almost, it almost could have, um, come across as like these two cops just out for a laugh you know right um well i mean clearly i I think even in the trailers it was clear that adam driver's character is not 
the most comfortable with the idea. It's it's all um, Washington's character mm-hmm. who's driving everything, but it 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 kind of almost seemed from the advertising like that his whole motivation was just just to make them look dumb, just for his own amusement. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, there's at times in the movie when it even feels a little bit that way. But uh, right. but so those were our expectations. I, I'm I'm sort of hinting that I at least feel that. The movie was a little different from what I expected, but I think we'll get into that um, shortly. Yeah, so that's what we expected when we sat down in the theater and the lights went down. Yeah. So before we get into talking about some of the, um, how those expectations were met, let's talk about financial performance. Box office returns. Yes, I think this segment is going to be less interesting than it ought to be because I should have done a little more... Uh, research leading up to this um, okay. so we'll keep it short but I did I did I do at least know the raw numbers so why don't you guess per our tradition what why don't you guess what you think this movie made in its opening, opening weekend. weekend yeah 17 million dollars oof no didn't do quite that well okay uh, made like about 11 million I feel like I was in the right ballpark though <laughs> yeah I mean you're yeah I would agree right. with that um yeah, it's. I mean, I don't think this was a. It's we're in a funny part of the year, you know. It's it's the tail end of summer, so um, this was, I think, the second biggest movie that th- that week. weekend after what uh, the Meg maybe I don't remember not remember what it released next to, but sure, you know, the Meg itself was was considered a hit, mm-hmm. but um, but not at the same level as any of the summer blockbusters that we're just kind of recovering from right now. Uh, so I think for the time window it was released in and for the, um, kind of genre it is by which I mean, you know, it's a more of an independent Mm -hmm. film or audiences probably largely perceive it as more of an indie film. Yeah. Um, it did, it did quite well. What I don't know and why I said this segment will be less interesting than it probably should be is I don't know how it compares to Spike Lee's past, uh, films. I suspect it's one of his biggest opening films. I think Inside Man is probably bigger. Yeah. But uh, um, aside from that, and you know, maybe a, one more. Like his movie, he doesn't make huge, you know, movies that gross tens of millions of dollars. So I think this is actually a, a pretty big commercial success for for him. Yeah. And I'm- I will also say, in its opening weekend, it made eleven million. I think by its second weekend, it had doubled that. Oh. And I think in its third weekend, it's, like, repeated. It's 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 holding up really well. Yeah. So, so I think even in its third weekend, it probably made close to 10. It probably made, like, 8 million in its third weekend or something like that. I mean, I might be a little bit off there, but, but I think it's already made over 30 million. So, you know triple its opening weekend which is which is pretty stellar so the word yeah so the word of mouth on this movie Mm -hmm. is good reviews are good i mean to be fair i think competition is pretty light right now it's like it's like crazy rich asians yeah (laughs) black klansmen and the meg are like probably the big what's out right (laughs) now yeah yeah. um and those are all very different movies so they're not eating into each other's business so much right so yeah i think um but but no, it's doing well. I suspect it's one of I think I bet I'm guessing it's like Spike Lee's second best performing movie after Inside Man. We'll That's have my con- guess. We'll have to consult some box office hawk yeah, after this. We'll, we'll check it out. Um, all right, so let's get then we we say what our expectations were. 
what did you actually experience how how did and how did that align with your expectations um well uh i'd say that it had it was honestly it was it was very it was very close to what i expected um but i think that honestly if 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 anything i'd say the main thing that differed from what i expected was and i'm sure you're not gonna agree with me on that. well i'm not sure i don't think most people get this out of the movie but i actually felt like it was more um for lack of a better word sympathetic to the clan than hmm. i expected hmm. uh i mean i don't mean sympathetic like it's like hey you know they actually have a good point like not like that um but I think the movie didn't revel in them making idiots of the clan as much as I expected it to. Okay. There were definitely some moments like that. Yeah. Um, I felt that it depicted it. I think it, it's perspective on things was a lot more sad and, yes. and a lot less, um, you know, like jovial, right. Uh, which makes sense. I mean, especially, when you consider that, you know, Spike Lee doesn't make, maybe he'll make a movie like Inside Man, but he doesn't make a movie about infiltrating the Klan Mm -hmm. without making a statement about it, right? Right, right. Um, So, yeah, I think it was, I think it was a very uh, pessimistic movie in a lot of ways. Sure. More so than I expected, Um, but in a way that was like kind of my own foolishness going in. Right. Yeah. and and I want to know what you think. I just wanted to point out real quick that something we forgot to write on our little agenda here is we were going to talk about themes next. Mm-hmm. So before we get to spoilers, uh, let's remember to do that. But what what were how did the movie compare to your expectations? I want to, I totally agree, Dan, with your view that the portrayal of the clan was more. Um, it depicted them in a sadder kind of light than I would have probably expected. But I think in hindsight, that makes sense. Because in, in some ways, I think the unifying thread um, that the movie presents for all these members of the clan is sort of a profound sort of ignorance or a profound kind of lack. There's, a, I mean, in some ways, there's David Duke is certainly presented as articulate and um, mm-hmm. uh, sort of photogenic and sort of charismatic right Right. but there's something like deeply uninformed about his point of view right that where he's quite obviously only read things that are sort of in a echo chamber of white nationalism and nothing outside of that right yeah um and i i think generally speaking um I would have expected the clan to be presented more as uh, somehow innately evil or, you know, more as opposed to just really misguided, uninformed people. Um, so that was, I, I sort of, I definitely co-signed that reading. Um, yeah. Another, I think another theme that is pretty, pretty explicit is the idea of um, occupying multiple worlds and sort of um, sort of code switching based on 
the audience that you're with, mm-hmm. right? So this this happens in multiple directions for multiple characters throughout the film, right? Oh yeah, I mean particularly the main character, I'd say. Yeah. Most, so most Ron Stallworth, main character, has to code switch in three different ways, right? Throughout the film, he has to be um, approachable. Uh, he he has to be he has able to, be to integrate man. into sort of a. Uh, the black liberation movement, mm-hmm. right? He has to be able to integrate into the sort of um, wonderbred Colorado Springs Police Department, mm-hmm. right? And he has to be able to speak white supremacist to, <laughs> to David, David Duke, Duke, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I and I think that type of exercise is happening um, certainly with Adam Driver's character, which is the um, Ron Stallworth's partner. Uh, um, Adam Driver plays a character named Flip Zimmerman in mm-hmm. the film. And he certainly has to do both the police department talk and the white supremacist talk. And then he realizes that there's sort of a um, noticeable in its absence the fact that he is Jewish and never even thinks about himself as being Jewish and couldn't even sort of like code switch into that type of culture if he had to, Mm -hmm. right? Um, There is uh, the, I can't remember her name, the, the name of the character who is one of the sort of main trio of clan members uh his wife mm-hmm. right um she sort of comments about how she s- became a white supremacist after marrying into it effectively so she sort of speaks both the like the language of a domestic does anybody need a sandwich or an iced tea type housewife and like the uh Clans member, and so I think this sort of yeah. theme of people sort of switching between one culture and another based on what is needed in the moment is something that the movie really explores pretty heavily. Yeah, and possibly, I mean, not in such overt ways, but um, sort of gestures at at the hand that that plays, that that phenomenon plays in you know some of the potentially some of the evils that we see mm-hmm. in the world today, right? That, that how much of it, I feel like at, I would say at, at the very least, it kind of, uh, it kind of raises the question of how much of, um, like how much of our willingness to sort of adapt who we are to fit in with a group that we want to be in mm-hmm. is responsible for some truly horrific outcomes. Right? Yep. Um, yeah, I yeah. think Driver even speaks to that. The Zimmerman character speaks to that at one point in the film when they call out that there's a police officer who um, had, I think, shot an unarmed uh, African-American like motorist like mm-hmm. prior to the opening of the film. And Ron Stallworth is like, why didn't you say anything, right? And Zimmerman says, you know, we're a... Like, we're a family effectively, right? We can't turn on ourselves. Right. And it's like you have, in order for an organization to fix itself, you, it has to be willing to sort of eat its own at some point. And, um, none of these, you know, almost none of these organizations are sort of able to sort of self-correct in that way. Right. Okay. So what about you? Any, any other themes that you want to call out? Um, I think I think the code switching concept was the main thing. I wasn't gonna put it in quite those terms. I think um, 
I, I think we can get into it more in spoilers, but, um, but to me, back to the sort of depiction of the KKK, I think the movie, for me, it definitely seems to make a point about the particular insidiousness of like how people who in other contexts might and I sort of I feel like I need to be careful with my words here because I don't I, I could easily say this and it would it would sound wrong but I think people who are not necessarily inherently bad people mm-hmm. can find themselves in a situation or in a group where they they just kind of become the the evil just uh, sort of takes takes over and. I guess I guess it, I feel like it speaks to the dangers of of sort of like if you're not if you're not vigilant against evil, you know, if you don't keep a watchful eye, it's very easy to just kind of fall into it if you find yourself in the right circumstance. Yeah. And and that's maybe a little vague what I'm saying. I think yeah, I think as we get into, you know, some of the next uh the details of the movie that that might spoil, you know, some of the plot. Um, we can get more specific about that, but yeah, I felt that that was a theme as well. Well, that feels like, I mean, that feels like the right time then to say spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, we are now going to talk about more detailed things that happen in the movie that if you care about the plot of this film, you should pause, the, off. pause this podcast right now. Go rent blank clan or, or go to the theater, watch it. And then you can resume or, if you'd like to just hear two people talk about Black Klansmen and you don't really want to see it, uh, we will kind of tell you what happens. Um, yeah. So, you know, the choice is yours. Well, I'll just keep going on that thought then. And this isn't really, I, this might not even really spoil that much anyway. But, um, like, I, looking back, I'd be curious if you disagree with me on this. I felt like the... Um, the leader of the local chapter of the Ku Klux Klan in this movie, Walter, Walter, was like depicted in, uh, yeah, a very sympathetic light. Like, um, I felt like he was shown to be like, if you sort of, if you could, perform the mental gymnastics of removing the hate, you know, the hateful aspect of like his whole <clears throat> role from his character, then he's like a pretty responsible and mature leader of a group who's looking out for the group, is trying to be welcoming of new members. Mm-hmm. And um, and even, uh, it's like, it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty brief little bit of dialogue. But when um, Adam Driver first meets him and sort of asks him, you know, like, how did you come up? upon this how did you end up in this group he explains you know this horrific experience he had of you know of his wife being attacked by black men and you know i, I don't remember there's like a few things that he cites as mm-hmm. like the reasons that he hates black people oh it's funny and yeah i didn't even i actually didn't believe him you thought it was a lie yeah, yeah i mean yeah that's definitely possible but for me I, I don't know. I guess where where I was going with that that comment I made in the section about themes was like I felt like his character was almost supposed to be just like an acknowledgement of 
there are people who, if you know their story and you get to know them, it's like it doesn't justify anything, but you can kind of understand why they would have these hateful feelings in their hearts. Right. And and this guy, aside from that, which comes from a, a place of pain, if he wasn't lying, which that changes his character quite a lot if he was. Um, but it's sort of like all, you know, all of his, uh, all of the way he interacts with everybody else around him seems like the way like a pretty decent guy would act, you know? Right. Um, and so I don't know, to me, he was just an example of like, this guy is, it's, it's really unfortunate that a guy who seems in all, in most regards capable of being, you know, a good person Mm -hmm. is just in this situation where you know he's not at all right (laughs) um he's like leading this hate group but i don't know i guess i guess it stood i'll i'll sort of pause all the points i'm i'm sort of struggling to make and just say the the one main thing i can point to that's pretty concrete here is he 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 makes a very clear contrast with another character in the group, right? The right. um, what's the other guy's name? The hothead. Yeah. yeah, whatever the hothead's name is. I'll look it up. The you compare the leader to the hothead, and it's like, and it's like, in any in any other movie, that is like good guy bad guy, right? Right. Um, they both happen to be in the clan in this movie, but in in if this movie weren't about the clan. Uh, then it would be like you know the the mature, reserved, sort of cool-headed, uh, clear-eyed leader, yeah, and the hot-headed, you know, uh, like arrogant, uh, paranoid, you know, trouble S- troublemaker, second in command, yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. I mean, I don't know, like yeah, I'm like I said, I'm curious if you had a similar read on him. You said you you figured he was lying in that opening scene, so I think that sets that sets a very different tone right from the start. Yeah, I had a case. very different read on that character actually. I don't think um, that that any of that like disproves the basic point which I that you're making which I agree with, which is like how easy it is to fall into sort of uh, a path of that is ultimately hateful and immoral and evil. Um, but I actually read that particular character very differently. Um, and the way I read him, uh, although I do think there is supporting evidence in the movie for the point you're making, I just think I have a different yeah piece of supporting evidence. Um, the way I read that particular character is here is a competent person, right, who has found a tribe that he can be the king of, mm-hmm. right? This person probably wouldn't be a king in any other group, right? He would just be like a competent guy, mm-hmm. right? But sort of almost cynically, and possibly with a little bit of belief too, right? Um, has decided, oh, I will be the lord of these idiots, right? 
Interesting. And because at one point, after he sort of resigns his post as leader of the Colorado Springs clan, he later goes to David Duke and he's like, you know, I could do this on a national level. Mm-hmm. Right? And he's like angling for sort of a national yeah. position within the clan, right? He's he's ambitious. Right. Right? Um, and that to me is counterbalanced by sort of the clan's dumbest member in this movie, right? The sort of uh, overweight bearded dude yeah. who who is quite obviously, um, I think, in some ways motivated by a similar thing, but he's just happy to be involved in any group, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, that will accept him, right? Um, and so I think in some ways there's something about belonging in this movie Right, that uh, both I think the Colorado Springs Police Department and the Black Nationalist Movement and the um, and the White Nationalist Movement. Actually, I'm sorry, that's unfair. It's not a Black Nationalist Movement. It's just a Black Liberation Movement. Yeah. Um, you know, I think all of those groups, part of their appeal to their members are just about like here's a here's a place where I can be accepted and be part of something right yeah um and so i actually read that character as sort of somewhat similar to the david duke character i think david duke is more of a like a true believer right in what he's saying yeah Um, i i viewed the walter character as almost like one of the more um one of one of the more to me reprehensible type of talking heads that you see on television which is like they don't believe what they're saying, but they know that there's like fame and and uh, you know a place of prominence if they mm. sort of take that position, and so they're just yeah. gonna take it for the cameras, right? Well, yeah, that's interesting. Those, those are that's we obviously had two very different reads on the character, but what both of our reads had in common was that the primary thing driving him wasn't racial hatred right although he probably had that i mean he clearly had that there was enough there that he could make it work yeah but yeah it's like not what drives him and i think it's interesting that of i mean there were plenty of side characters in the clan covered in this movie but of the sort of main characters in the clan that were covered i mean i'll say there's like three main characters in the local chapter there's the three we named the leader the hot-headed second in command and the bumbling you know, sort of overweight guy. Yeah. And of the three of them, only one of them is really driven by his hatred. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, I think that, um, I think that there's some, there's a, there's a subtle point in there about, um, kind of like the fuel that runs this organization, but then all of the, uh, all of the kind of framework that needs to be erected to, to support the, the, the organization itself, mm-hmm. you know, like it needs a leader and yeah. it needs, and it needs people to just kind of do the logistical stuff. And in any kind of group like that, there's going to be room, there's going to be opportunities there for people who are more interested in the opportunity than they are in the, whatever the meat, you know, the meat and flame right. that runs the group is. So, yeah, that that's that's interesting. Um, I don't really I don't really know where I fall in that. I think one thing that's really interesting to me, thinking about these characters, is just like 
imagining the actors reading the script yeah. and how they choose to portray the character and what, you know, what Spike Lee, what the director would have communicated to them. Because again, if you're like, oh, I'm going to play this member of the KKK in this movie, mm-hmm. you know, if you're an actor, I have to imagine your your first plan is to be like the hot-headed guy in this movie, right? Right. It's like, I'm going to just be really hateful and I'm going to... It's um, almost like the Alec Baldwin performance at the beginning of the movie, right? Yeah, I'm going to try to channel this just hateful, ugly, really horrible um persona and you know i'll try to like find whatever darkness i can find within myself to sort of make that character come to life but i think with some of these characters it's almost like spike lee told the actors like no 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 just like just be like a regular person you know right um you know say the lines with the appropriate level of kind of you know like uh, anger for the lines that are supposed to be angry but besides that you know, like think of like the 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 bumbling overweight guy. You know, he was playing that like just a comic. You know, like a lovable yeah. character, like that you'd find in any movie. Yeah, and he's and he's supposed to be. You know, he's supposed to be funny. He's supposed to have lines that are like, "Oh, that guy." Yeah, you know, um, and so I think that's I don't know. There's something to that. I think uh, I think that both he and the leader, for sure, were not. They were at least not playing the role like the way you'd normally expect an actor to play a clan member. Right. right. And I think in some ways that's the type of insight that like a Spike Lee probably brings that I'm just as a sort of a straw man replace, you know, like replacement white director might not. Right. Because if you are a black person in America, uh, you're probably much more acutely aware of how like very normal seeming people can be actual like sort of supporters of really evil things yeah right and i think within sort of the 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 cushier sort of uh part of america like a you know in a liberal enclave for example you might think like yeah though those people are cartoons right Those people are snidely whiplash style villains, and they'll be easy to pick out in a crowd, right? And and when in this movie you realize like how startlingly sort of like quote normal seeming a lot of those people are, right? Right. Um, Again, I, except for the hothead. Except guy. for I've learned his name is Felix. Oh, Felix, um, that's right. Right, but like, yeah, the Walter character, the Ivanhoe character, Felix's wife, Connie, like in a variety sure. of in a variety you of imagine her going to like the bank or something, and she seems totally perfectly fine. sweet, right? And I'm sure would even be polite to you know whatever African American people she happened upon in public, right? Because she would know how you're supposed to behave in public. Because she code switches to yeah, be yeah, like yeah. a you know what I mean, and right. same thing with David Duke, right? Um, and so I think there's some. I think that's actually a a much more. And I think that sort of probably contributes to ultimately the um, some of the cynicism or despair, like at the heart, like that sort of undergirds the movie. Because the movie is funny, and it does not, and it is not a tragedy, right? At least for the characters involved in the mm-hmm. film, 
right? But it, there's some like larger American tragedy that's like undergirding it, yeah. right? And uh, I think the fact that these character, the, these white supremacist characters, are so like familiar, mm-hmm. right, is part of the I the I think the diagnosis there. Yeah. All right. Agreed. Should we talk about? You know, I feel like we've talked a lot about the the clan characters in this movie. We haven't even really talked about the good guys, the protagonists of the movie. Sure, yeah. Um, well, I mean, every movie has a good guy. Not every movie has the clan, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, maybe just real quick, like, what did you think of John David Washington and Adam Driver? I thought they were great. I thought they were great. Um I put it this way, I actually expect that John David Washington, this is Denzel Washington's son, playing the lead character of Ron Stallworth, um, I, he'll have a career after this, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I expect him to be better in those movies. You uh-huh. know what I mean? You, I, like, you see you see potential yeah, to grow he's, into. He's got charisma, he's got comic timing, Right, he's obviously. But will he ever be as great as his dad? No, no one will ever be as great as his dad. Right? <laughs> Impossible. Then we could have a totally separate podcast just about great Denzel films. Yeah. Right. Of which there are many. Right, including Inside Man. Um, but That's true. Uh, yeah, I thought he was great. I really liked Adam Driver's performance too. Um, I thought some of the characters within the uh black liberation movement uh scenes i thought were a little um they put it this way they felt a little caricature ish to me anyone in particular um and this do you is, mean just like the characters that were like it just had like one line and just that he would yeah i mean in some ways like the movie probably purposefully like underwrites a lot of them uh-huh. right like there's Patrice, right? Like yeah. Ron Stallworth's like love interest in the film, and she's not underwritten. I think she's she's got, a main yeah she's yeah, a pretty she, main character. She's she she's a voice for like a very particular point point of view, and I think it's probably a necessary point of view. Um, but like the clan gets, you know, a handful of people with like lots of lines and thoughts in the movie, and I don't yeah. feel like uh, aside from. The Stokey Carmichael character and Patrice, there's a lot of voices on on sort of the the black liberation side. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it, the fact that we spent the first several minutes of this conversation talking about the Klan, like, that's obviously where our interests were, and I think it's where the movie's interests were, too. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a movie about a couple of police officers infiltrating the Klan. It's not about... Um, it's not about his relationship with um. What's her name? Patrice. Patrice you said. Yeah. That's that's a side plot. You know, that's like a secondary storyline. But it right. is secondary. I it think gives the him, main it, thing is it there. creates stakes. Yeah. Too. Exactly. And yeah, and it creates a sense of conflict for him. Right. Um, because you know the whole like, am I am I am I a black man first or am I a police officer first kind of, um, which kind of comes up. You know when she finally learns who he is. Um, but anyway, okay, so that stuff was all good. Uh, let's, let's, what, do you, what was the best part of the movie for you? Does any particular part stand out? 
the best part. Um, I I think the part that I'll remember is the the cross cutting sequence with Birth of a Nation and mm. Harry Belafonte. Yeah. Um. So just to as a quick description, um, there's a scene where the clan is gathered to induct Adam Driver's character, who is po- who is posing as, of course, Ron Stallworth, um, into the clan. And as part of the celebration, the clan watches Birth of a Nation, um, the early 20th century film by... Yeah. Um, what's the director's name? I can't believe I can't recall off the top of my head. I was counting on you to remember that. Ugh. All Something. The, all the film snobs listening to this just turned it off. Um, uh, <laughs> just turned it off. Just disgust. turned off this podcast immediately because I couldn't remember the director of Birth of a Nation. Um, but uh, that film famously features... Is it Griffith? D.W. Griffith? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, that film famously features the cl- the clan is heroes, right? And depicts uh, African Americans and Africans more broadly as sort of savages to be derided and like sort of corralled like animals, right? And so um, the clan celebrates by watching this film while simultaneously, you know, at, on an, in another part of town, uh, a um, a man who grew up sort of in segregationist South uh, to recounts a story of how his friend who was mentally disabled was savagely murdered by effectively a town of people, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that is the piece of evidence that I think of when I think of how easy it is for sort of average people to just fall into evil, right? Right. I mean, he was even describing within the confines of that story, like children, you know, asking to get up on their parents' shoulders and watch. Yeah. Right. And so that sequence was quite powerful for the um, sort of the propagandistic spin that Birth of a Nation allows the clan members to feel about their heritage. Right. And Hera Belafonte's recounting of what ha- what actually that amounts to in real life, mm-hmm. right? And the just the depravity and inhumanity of it, um, I think, is the most effective counterpoint in the film that sort of allows us to quickly understand, here's how the clan sees themselves, and here's how you should actually see them, right? Yeah. They are heroes in their own story, and they are absolutely villains in real life. Um, that's the part that I'll remember the most. What about you? Uh, real quick, did you did you remember? I mean, I didn't even know this, but I heard it later. Did you know while watching the movie that Birth of a Nation was um, like the movie where cross cutting was invented? I did know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that, the fact that that sequence uses that technique, <laughs> right, right, is um, certain. The irony is cool. not lost on yeah. me. Yeah, um, I think you know that mo- that moment was that scene was certainly very powerful. I, I think for me the highlight of the movie though was just the portion. I mean, it probably is a twenty minute segment of the movie. Really, when when they're first. Um, 
just the first few kind of like forays into Adam Driver going to mm-hmm. meet them. I just think um, it's sort of it's just it's just a really high tension uh, segment of the movie where you know they have this crazy idea, they get the police chief to kind of sign off on it. Adam Driver's like all right, I guess I'll try to like be you, you mm-hmm. know? And he does, he does a little, uh, like speech, the voice, you know? Yeah. Set, they do yeah, a little yeah. like, um, vocal, uh, kind of like training session and, and you know, they, he sets him up with the mic and he goes in and the Felix character is obviously very suspicious from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, to me, those first few encounters, were were just like great. They were just um like full of of tension, like, you know, like edge of your seat kind of like what's going to happen, but also, I mean, I and of course I know like there's no movie if if this thing gets shut down here. So, in a way I knew what was going to happen, but like in the moment I was I was pretty inten- I was pretty tense. Yeah. And um and there was you know, also just in each case uh it it kept happening like oh something almost almost uh, jeopardized the whole operation, but then they they were somehow managed to sort of you know recover get out of it yeah um, and there was something thrilling about that you know like including in a, in a perverse way including like Adam Driver having to do and say things that convince these clan members that he's like no I'm definitely one of you. Right. You know, to prove it, I have to do these, uh, mainly say, you know, these really reprehensible things, but, but he's able to, you know, he's like, I guess to me, it's like, oh, he's a, he's a good undercover cop. He can do that without flinching. He doesn't give anything away. And there's something like, I don't know, there was something kind of thrilling about it to me, just, just to see this, this, uh, confluence of like, competence Mm -hmm. as a as a professional yeah as a police officer i can i can get in there with the worst of them yeah and make them think i'm one of them and i won't flinch but at the same time the whole reason i'm doing this yeah the whole reason we're doing this you know the 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 real ron stallworth and the Mm -hmm. fake ron stallworth is like because obviously we both know that this group is an abomination and needs to be needs to be you know routed if we can so i thought that was really cool i uh, it's it's just kind of i don't know it was just kind of the the beginning of the whole premise of the movie but i thought it was executed really well and i thought the scenes were were really good so that yeah, probably have been my best part of the movie there was one really fast moment that i think where i would um echo sort of having that same feeling that you're describing where it's like um Felix is about to give Flip a lie detector test. Yeah, yeah. With like I a, was I was about to zero in on that specifically with like a virtually a gun to his head, mm-hmm. right? And um, so Ron hearing this, right, and hearing Flip to say like, mm-hmm. "Are you going to shoot me?" You know that kind of stuff. He gets real nervous for his partner and throws a rock. Yeah, through something a brick, a or window, a, rock or a brick through the window, and then just you know, hauls ass out of there, right? Like, um, he's a black man who just threw a rock through a clan 
like meeting. Yeah, gosh, window. man, talk about high stakes. Get out of there immediately. And so <laughs> then, as he's peeling out, right, um, Felix pulls out a handgun mm-hmm. to fire at to, at Ron, and Flip, in like a brilliant move, I thought, yeah. like takes the gun from him and shoots at the car but purposefully like you know because he's a cop right yeah, yeah. he purposefully misses yeah every shot he he unloads and, the gun and he uses that as evidence right to the clan he's like you like you think that i'm scared of you know you think that you still think i'm a jew you still yeah. think i'm an undercover cop or whatever um, right like um yeah that whole scene had a lot of little um when I said, like, thrilling, like, you know, it, it's great to see somebody who's, like, so competent. I, f- I felt like those early scenes were full of examples of of Adam Driver's character, Flip, having to think fast. Inventively, and to, yeah. Yeah, and having to sort of, um, you know, avoid exposing himself, but doing so in a way that clearly, that felt organic and, and weren't, and didn't betray, like, didn't didn't set off alarm bells like oh you're acting suspicious you you right. must be a cop like he was he was able to to keep it seeming really natural yeah and of course this is all in the script you know so it's really it's it's a, a, credit to the writers yeah, yeah um I think the di- a lot of the dialogue was really solid but but yeah no that that moment for sure was a good example you know there's a there's a moment later in the movie where they're doing target practice yeah that I was I was half expecting. Uh, Felix to to start putting stuff together then like yeah why are you such a good shot you totally missed the car yeah earlier <clears throat> um, but anyway Felix puts it together later but I yeah. I thought in that scene they were gonna like make more of a big deal yeah every time I, you're right every time that Adam Driver was able to cleverly get out of some sort of sort of conundrum some sort of consistency yeah conundrum right like like in the lie detector tests uh huh when Felix is like, you know, take off your pants. Like, I want to see if you're circumcised. Then Adam Driver is like, Flip is super quick on his feet to be like, oh, why, because you're gay? You know, like, he he turns it around on him and is able, because, you know, he knows and the audience knows, like, if he does this, it will give away who he is, you know? Um, but, But he just found a really organic way to turn it around um, and I think there were a lot of examples of that, but sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, no, I just, I'm at this point, I'm enjoying just thinking of examples of this, but the last one that I'll cite is, uh, when he misstates the alleged, uh, city of his dying father. Oh, right. Yeah. And he's like, I got to go to Dallas to visit my dad. And like, we thought you were going to El Paso. And he's mm-hmm. like, what did he's like, I am going to El Paso. What did I say? Right, and yeah. they're like, "You said Dallas." He's like, "Oh, my flight connects in Dallas. I'm going to El Paso." Mm-hmm. Right, like just little, th- like these are the types of mistakes or inconsistencies that like people just make in yeah. life, and yeah. he's able to sell it. And I thought his perform, it's a very sort of nuanced performance, right? Because he's playing, he's obviously an actor playing a character who is a cop, who is a Jew who kind of doesn't really think of himself as a Jew, yeah. playing a Klansman, imitating another black cop, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? It's just like this really like layered performance that he does really effortlessly well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So is this movie a rich man's version or a poor man's version? Of, of something? Um, 
I mean, there's elements. I, I feel like I've seen movies where the category is like someone pretending to be somebody else. Sure. Right? Um, what's like an example of that? Like any sort of mistaken identity kind of movie. Um, it's transparent that you neither you nor I no. has like a favorite one of those. Right. No. I know I feel like I've seen that sort of movie, but I don't really it like that sort of farce like never really does much for me cuz it feels like so improbable and like not real, right? Yeah. Um when somebody, you know, looks at the main character 2 thirds of the way through the film and is like, "Wait, what's your what is your name?" like yeah. in real life, right? Like I'm just like, "Really? We've been able to go this long <laughs> doing this?" Um uh, and so in in th- in that regard, this is like a rich man's version of all of those movies, right? Mm-hmm. Because it does it in a way that I actually like bought and wasn't like put off by, right? Um, there are, I think the movie in some ways uh, be- both benefits and is harmed by its um, verisimilitude, right? Because like, the Klansmen are not caricatures. They're like real people. And these cops aren't like the these partners, right? Aren't partners the way they are in movies where yeah. it's like we are blood brothers forever, right? It's like there's there's disagreement, there's, you know, one believes in it more than the other initially, right? And so in that regard, I think it's a poor man's quote version of a Hollywood like uh cop like partner cop movie where it's Mm -hmm. like look at the the two partners (laughs) who are the best right like you know like lethal weapon for example would be a good it would be a good example of that right like murtaugh and riggs are like the best partners ever and they've got witty banter and but they're like deeply bound to each other right and this movie is sort of like yeah that's not really how it goes right yeah um yeah, they sort of have a, I don't know, like, just respect for each other, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, they don't have much of a bond. There's not much. They don't seem, I mean, maybe toward the end, the movie doesn't really get into this. They don't really seem like personal friends. Yeah. Right? But they are colleagues, and they respect each other, and they and they have each other's backs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, which is like professionalism, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not. They, this movie doesn't attempt to portray them as like they're not gonna. They're not gonna hang out. Yeah. Outside of work, no. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. There's no one movie, but like on there's sort of a buddy cop comedy thing got, mm-hmm. going on that it's like not quite that, but I think it's purposefully not doing that. And then I think it's better than most mistaken identity movies. All right, I think we can leave it at that. Um, what about? So let's move on to fix the movie. What what uh any any shortcomings stand out that you would address? I don't know. For a movie that I don't there's nothing glaringly wrong with it that I can put my finger on anyway. Yeah. Um this I the main thing I suppose that I would call out is I felt like the ultimate stakes at the end mm-hmm. were a little bit low right i mean granted this you know um she connie is trying to murder another human being and i think it's important to call out that that's like an extremely meaningful thing but it's not like a 
maybe we're so desensitized today to like real terrorism is when you kill lots of people right right right. um and so but in that regard the idea of them stopping a car bombing right um feels a little bit anticlimactic uh but i don't know but that's i bet you i mean without having read the ron stallworth book i bet you that's pretty much what happened in real life right like yeah they also i mean they also stopped um like a shooting right i mean the the clan that's true they were they were packing heat and they were ready to just start go to the march yeah and just start shooting people and they called it off because of the police presence right yeah so in some Um, ways that's like the you know they just which they they prevented it from happening at all yeah yeah um but no, I agree. We sort of talked about it after after coming out of the movie that it's sort of hard to quantify how much good they actually did in this movie. Yeah. Because most of the movie was just about Adam Driver trying to not have his cover be blown. Right. And I guess they happened upon like one or two pieces of information that helped them kind of, in that case, prevent a bad thing. In another case, um, you know, yeah, save one person's life. But um, it it's sort of like, and I know it was based on a true story, so I don't want the movie to fabricate things. But in terms of just the storytelling, not the storytelling, in terms of the story, if, if it weren't based on a real story, yeah, it would sort of feel like the story is missing like one really big thing that mm-hmm. they achieved right. as part of their investigation. Yeah, and I, I, I would agree with that. I don't know. I think in some ways again the movie's strength and its weaknesses it's like uh adherence to real life and it's possible that it's sort of like yeah we're not going to pretend like this was a more important thing than it was it was it's just a very interesting well, story for what it is yeah you know you know what i think you know what i think i don't i'm just thinking of this now so maybe it's not maybe it won't hold up but when i say one big thing i feel like uh what what it felt like as an audience that we needed was for somebody to go to prison you know uh yeah i mean nobody like they three prevent- people died yeah right? yeah which i mean you know that's that's a that's pun- dramatic that's a penalty but, for sure but like you know obviously we all know that david duke is is still out there and doing his thing so i knew yep. he wasn't gonna go to jail or anything but it sort of felt like uh this investigation should have resulted in some Klansmen getting arrested, you know? Right. Um, well, the fact that the investigation is effectively, like, uh, shredded. Yeah. Right? Like, they almost won't... No prosecutor will ever get their hands on this case because it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, them having stopped a shooting and a, and a cross-burning or two is is definitely a good thing, but when nobody goes to jail you sort of just have the sense like they just delayed yeah the inevitable you know these same people are there like you said some of them are dead so that's good yeah <laughs> i mean felix in particular you know mm-hmm. he was probably the most destructive force um but you know but still it's like this local chapter is still active and many of the same people are there 
and you just kind of thwarted them a couple times. They're they're yeah. just gonna kind of regroup and come back. So yeah, and I and I think that is the thing at the end of the movie that makes it yeah really sort of a challenge is there's a you might have won this battle m- maybe, but there's a there's a feeling at the end of the movie it's like we're are we losing this war right yeah um where of course it everything sort of um fast forwards uh using sort of a a kind of match on action type motion to take a 1970s cross burning and have it be directly linked to the charlottesville march of 2017 yeah right um and that feeling of wow here we are 40 almost 50 years later right and we are still dealing with white supremacists marching in the streets with lighting things on fire uh and killing innocent people right this it it really does feel like the stalworth investigation right was um a temporary diversion right from this larger narrative of you know just white nationalism just sort of insidiously taking root in america at higher higher levels of government and prominence yeah yeah i i guess it's a minor thing but i think if if the movie could have drawn just a slightly more explicit connection between the the investigation getting shut down and things kind of going back to the way they were yeah leading up to today yeah that uh, it could have it could have reinforced that point yeah. i think a little bit and that's a great point because i actually never even thought about that but in some ways i'm i'm sure that this investigation was exceptional mm-hmm. right um but at the same time uh it does feel kind of related to uh the same type of criticism that is is levied against institutions and against um companies that protect uh predators within the me too movement right Mm -hmm. it's like every time a police department shuts down an investigation like this every time an organization decides to not prosecute or fire or uh, take some punitive action against a person who engages in sort of some kind of reprehensible behavior, yeah. right? It just gives that evil a foothold to take root and grow, right? And so um, at, for every Colorado Springs Police Department that shuts down an investigation in the Klan, right, that just gives the Klan that much more air cover to to grow. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's a it's a bummer. Yeah, and I think and I I think the movie intends to give you that feeling, right? Like um but it's sort of like if we don't call it out and do something about I think the challenge is what we also want to see, right? There's almost like another movie that I would like to like walk out of this movie and walk into some other movie where that is happening. Mm-hmm. right um as almost uh, a role model or an inspiration or something right like doing the right thing even when it's not easy right yeah um 
but uh but that's not for this movie to solve it's probably for the next movie to solve or you know, or no movie at all people have to solve it <laughs> no we need movies to do it yeah um one more thing we we talked about i think also after seeing the movie this is like a little detail but i feel like i would just get rid of it is uh that phone call to david duke at the end where yeah he just kind of you know let's just have it he reveals oh all along it was me it was a it was a african-american man you were talking to and i'm gonna have a good laugh and i think i would get rid of that for two reasons at the time the main reason was just like that i was like don't throw away everything you built like because because for me it what having just watched the movie i was mainly just like it is a huge bummer that this investigation got shut down but hypothetically it could be reopened you know you could be authorized to continue and where you left off everybody in the clan with the exception of the guys who are now dead so everybody left still thinks that ron stallworth is a white guy who who looks like adam driver and right totally pick things back up where you left off but he just throws that option completely away by calling David Duke and revealing everything to, for no benefit to anything other than to have a good laugh. Yeah, it's like his catharsis. So that was the one reason that bothered me. But the second reason that I only thought of later um, has to do more with what we were just talking about as far as the tone that the movie's ending on and sort of what its message is. And I feel like that moment is supposed to be a little bit of a triumphant moment, you know? Yeah. But it, it does, it's not really consistent with what the remaining message of the movie is, which is a decidedly anti-triumphant message of, like, we have not solved this problem. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's great what Ron and Flip did, but look where we are today. Yep. This stuff has not gone away. It's in many ways just as strong as it ever was. And so it's sort of just like, yeah, that little scene, I feel like, doesn't have a place in that ending of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree with you, ultimately. If I were to make the counter argument, it would be that a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. <laughs> yeah. Right? I, I mean, it is, it is a fun little scene. Just, right. Just self-contained. It's like a little moment for everybody in the theater to yeah. sort of laugh together and feel good about what has happened before they feel really bad about you know there's another moment like that that i also feel like is one of the weaker parts of the movie which is when they all team up on that bad cop yeah for sure i mean that's great that's a great outcome i'm happy that that happens in the world of the film uh-huh. right but again it's it feels a little empty yeah right it's like it's it, it, in some ways it's similar to i mean to it, it it's a less of a um it doesn't commit this sin as strongly as this movie i'm about to name does and i know you're a huge fan of this movie but three billboards we've talked about many times in many of our other uh-huh. conversations <laughs> the whole notion that you know it brings up race but doesn't really explore it yeah and so it's like probably shouldn't have brought it up at all yeah um in this movie like the idea of you know what we talked about earlier of like you know there's some bad cops and there's this institutional sort of like pressure to sort of stick together and not rat out the bad cops and and like that's a real problem i feel like this movie you know 
addresses that in very simplistic terms. Like, here's a really bad guy. Right. And everyone else in the force is, like, actually totally fine. Right. And none of them like him. Right. But there is this institutional thing, and it's like, in this world, in the world of this movie, yeah, they all hate him. They right. all would like to see him go. Right. So what's the problem? Like, right. and, and by the time that scene happens at the end, you're like, well, they clearly are all happy to get him out of here. Right. So I don't know why it took this long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't know why they needed to record him. Like, the chief doesn't like him. None of his coworkers <laughs> like him. Right. You know? Just like... He is a murderer. Yeah. Right? Like... <laughs> um, you know, uh, so it's just like, yeah, I, it it sort of felt to me like the movie should have almost not even explored that topic since it wasn't going to explore it in much depth. Yeah. Or which or with much of a like uh, uh, unique point of view. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm complaining about nothing because. Because if it didn't acknowledge it at all, that probably would have been worse. If yeah. just like every cop in this movie were good, yeah, and not racist, right? <laughs> then it would have been like, I know this is a movie that's mainly about the Ku Klux Klan, but like, uh, there's a lot of problems with law enforcement, <laughs> right? That this movie does not acknowledge at all. Yeah. So I guess it needed to acknowledge it. So I guess it couldn't have ignored it. So. I probably would have preferred that it explored it with a little more nuance. Like, like if maybe Adam Driver is clearly, you know, a not racist guy mm-hmm. who's totally like a, an actual um, ally to Ron Stallworth and the investigation. But maybe there's some other police officers who are in more of a gray area. Passive, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. the closest thing, I think, the, is the chief. The chief, yeah. yeah. I agree with that. He's sort of... He's sort of like a hard ass who seems like I don't have time for any of this like racial sensitivity, yeah. you know, or to be like, uh, you know, mindful. It's just like my number one thing is like police stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm not racist, but I also don't give a crap about mm-hmm. whatever your like, you know, spe- specific concerns are as a as an African-American. So he so he comes across as, you know as like yeah like not racist per se but just not an ally right Right. well he's racist he's not racist but he's not doing anything to stop the perpetuation of racism yeah he's sort of he's sort of i mean i'm sure many people know plenty of folks who fit that description yeah Like, like they're not actively racist but they almost they almost are in the sense that they don't really like acknowledge uh like imbalances in society and stuff like that and they just act as if everything's fine yeah and so you're like well it's sort of an all lives matter type approach yeah yeah um so he'd be the closest thing but i mean uh, even he in that final scene is like super pleased with kicking out that um bad cops yeah but then he proceeds to shut down the investigation after (laughs) that right? right so i think I think that is the closest the movie comes to acknowledging sort of the the gray area, the passivity of you know people who aren't actively your enemy but aren't actively your friend. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we this has been a pretty long episode, so let's wrap it up. Do you do you think we should launch this to the astronaut? I'm making a grimacing face. Right I'm with now. you. I think it's not quite there. I I. I do think that I will remember this movie at the end of the year. I think yeah. it'll be a highlight 
for me like yeah. it uh, like looking back on like it depends on the type of conversation i think you want to have right if you want to have a conversation about cinema right i don't know that this makes the cut if you want to have a conversation about what what is happening in 2018 this is probably an important movie right yeah but this astronaut is all by himself i know and he's not going <laughs> to get completely the... detached from everything on earth <laughs> right he's not going to get it <laughs> for a long um, time yeah no, I, but I'm, I mean I'm, I'm mostly we'll have kidding. to send That's him a separate it. communication which is like do you want cinematic greatness or do you want topicality right um yeah no i did think it was a really good movie um but yeah i just don't think it uh i think it fell short in a few ways and and more importantly there were just um some of the things it explored it didn't explore well enough yeah uh, yeah. Over, overall, me. I'd recommend the movie. I I sure. don't know that I don't know that it's gonna make the cut to stream bit by bit into space. No. Okay. I still think Do the Right Thing is probably Spike Lee's his masterpiece, his best yeah, film yeah. that I've seen. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning into this week's episode of Space Flicks. I'm Adam. Uh, the, the other guy not talking is Dan, and uh, I'm Dan. We will see you. We will. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you next time when we decide whether to stream the next movie we see into space. <laughs> <laughs>